On May 1, 1941, the great entertainer Bob Hope started his first USO show at California's March Field. These shows were famous for improving morale for the troops, and unfortunately they would become even more important in about seven months later when the attacks on Pearl Harbor would devastate the nation. The NFL played a similar role for the troops and people back home at the home front. However, operations almost shut down during the war years, possibly never to open the doors of the league again. Thankfully they did not, and it all started with the letter from the president. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time as we step off our DeLorean, the date is December 6th, 1941, and you and I are in Honolulu, Hawaii. We're on vacation, baby. Life is awesome. We get the ocean over there. We got some sun in our hair. We've got maybe a little bit of a drink in our hand. I don't know. And also, did I not know that tomorrow is going to be the attack on Pearl Harbor? Paradise will become hell on earth and everybody in the nation will just be distraught. They will have no idea where we're going to go. What's going to happen? Is this the end of the world? Well, I don't know. Franklin D. Roosevelt would end up delivering a speech to Congress, and he would urge people telling them that we need to declare war on Japan. And here is a small portion of that speech just to give you an idea of what it must have felt like for Americans back at that time. Mr. Vice President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Senate, of the House of Representatives, Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Now that is a short clip of what was a very famous yet infamous because we had to deal with it kind of speech. And as we all know, we ended up going to war and the entire world will never be the same again. But with our country at war, the question is brought to the doorstep. Should professional sports go on? Or should we close the door forever on professional sports because there's more important things to think about? I mean, that's a legitimate question. I mean, considering everything that was going on during the time, we're at the dawn of the Second Great War, at least from the perspective of the American people. But in early 1942, we still didn't even have a clue what this was going to mean for how many of American lives we were going to lose. And Major League Baseball was still the top dog at the time. Then-Commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis wrote a letter to then-President Franklin Roosevelt, basically seeking his advice because he didn't know what they should do. Major League Baseball, should we go on professional sports? I have no clue. So Landis wrote this in his letter to the president. If you believe we ought to close down for the duration of the war, we are ready to do so immediately. If you feel we ought to continue, we would be delighted to do so. We await your order. So President Roosevelt had to think about this. 
but I don't think he thought about it that long if you actually go back and read his letter, which was later known as the Green Light Letter, and it was dated on January 15th, 1942. It basically states that baseball needs to go on, professional sports need to go on. He says, Commissioner, this is up to you and the owners, but I'm going to give you my personal opinion. The workers, they're working a long time. They got longer hours coming ahead. They're going to work harder than ever before because they got to support the war efforts. People need something to take their minds off of work. And of course, this whole bloodbath that's going to happen about going on overseas, we need to take their minds away from that, even if it's just for a brief little second. And in this letter, there's a paragraph that struck a chord with you for the reality that was about to happen for most of the young players that are going to be whisked away to war. And then there's going to have other government jobs going on. This is to give you an idea of what the president felt that professional sports could give to Americans on the home front. And he ended his letter with this paragraph. Here is another way of looking at it. If 300 teams use 5,000 or 6,000 players, these players are a definite recreational asset to at least 20 million of their fellow citizens. And that, in my judgment, is thoroughly worthwhile. So President Roosevelt, he felt that it was maybe not necessary, but very important for Americans on the home front to have something to take their minds off it so they could push through the war, which would inevitably be a long time and take a large toll on Americans across the nation. Now, I left a link to the green light letter if you want to read it in the show notes. It's in its entirety. And by the way, you can get to the show notes through your podcast player or by heading to thefootballhistorydude.com. Also, I ask that you subscribe for free to the show by mashing that little subscribe button in your podcast player of choice. That way you get the hottest, freshest out the press episodes well each and every week. Okay, so let's jump forward a little bit. The green light letter has been given. The green light's given. You can go ahead forward with professional sports. However, it's still going to be challenging for professional sports for that matter in the NFL as a whole. Over 600 active NFL players and coaches would end up going into armed forces. George Hallis is one of them, and we talked about the Chicago Bears being decimated in the past and Bronco Nagurski making that great comeback. But we had to find players somewhere. And there's a video on the NFL site that gives about an idea for how they had to fill rosters, because they had to fill them with men that were deemed unphysically fit to fight in the military and bringing on old veterans and guys that were out of retirement, people who for, I don't know, from the caveman days of football and that kind of thing. But the NFL doctors, they didn't hold the same test, or at least they didn't have the same kind of scrutiny as far as, hey, you can walk, you can play a football game, maybe crawl, walk, roll around the end zone, I don't know. I've talked a little bit about the Avengers recently in a couple episodes because that's what's going on right now and I'm a monster Avengers fan and and I couldn't help but think about Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers, he just wanted to go to war. He wanted to fight the good fight. He wanted to help his country. Steve Rogers, however, was this tiny little guy. He was way smaller than the rest, but he had the biggest heart you knew. So he was selected for a program and it was looking for guys like him. You can't make the cut for the military, son, but I got something for you because you have what's going on up between your ears and the will to want to do the right thing. It turns him to Captain America and boom, he's a national hero. Now, I'm not saying that that's the same thing for the NFL, but many of these players were considered heroes because they were still giving them something on the home front to be able to cheer for. So, it's a little bit of the same kind of situation, although the weight is not the same. And rosters were made up of these undersized players, the overweight guys, you know, the retired old dudes. 
the owners got to the point where no joke. They were like, we got to shut these things down. We got to shut down operations because it's difficult to keep this thing going. Most teams were losing money even before this problem. And the league even ordered to reduce travel by 37% to preserve the resources because they already got the rations going on during World War II. So the schedule, they're going to have to revise them. They would make it so you could get to different games a little bit better and the rosters would be cut from 33 players to 28. Sure, you're saving money, but how much does the game suffer? How much are we able to have these, you know, great players playing for us? Or did they unfortunately get drafted over to the war? With this severe manpower shortage still happening, the teams would end up dwindling down to eight. Only eight teams in the league in the NFL. We're talking 32 nowadays. That's crazy. Think about that. Instead of having four teams in your division, I'm from the North, so we're talking Bears, Packers, the Vikings in, the best. Not really the best on paper and the stands and all that. So, but number one in my heart, the Detroit Lions. So I've got four. But think about that. Dwindling that division alone just down to one team, the Detroit Lions. Hey, maybe we could win a Super Bowl for a change in that point in time. We win the division by default. However, I digress. It was no joke or laughing matter because back then teams were folding. The Cleveland Rams, they suspended their play. We find out later for some other reasons other than the owners are gone and everything kind of thing. We got to deal with another team that is going to have an issue trying to play the game because they can't even feel the whole roster. And these two teams would be the topic of this episode, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Well, let's just, let's say it was half, not even half of both teams, but they will combine. Burt Bell and Art Rooney, they were co-owners of the Steelers at the time. We have Alexis Thompson, he's an owner of the Eagles. And Commissioner Elmer Layden, he presided and he suggested that they merge together to become unofficially known as the Phil Pitt Steagles. Both teams are losing players to the war. Neither one could even feel the whole team. And there's a quote from Burt Bell, the uh, part owner there of the Steelers, that eventually would become a great commissioner. And he said this, had to do it. Pittsburgh had no backs left and Philadelphia had no linemen. So what do they do? We mash them together. Later on, we hear of an interview from Al Wister, tackle for the Eagles from 1943 to 1951. Think about that. 1943, this is the season. 1943 is the season, the year, where the Steagles would be put together and we would have one team presiding in Pennsylvania. However, it was made up of two teams, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. So he's coming into this. He's thinking, I'm a rookie. I'm going to go ahead and play for the Eagles or the Steelers or what's going on here? This is 1943, and I guess I'm playing for what we're going to unofficially call ourselves as the Steagles. And this is the quote that he had about that merger. The Steagles combined the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles. That's where the name Steagles came from. And in my opinion, when you put the two teams together, you had twice as many lousy football players on that Steagles team. Look at the teams. The Eagles had never won a, had a winning season and the Steelers were almost as bad. But to give you an idea, these are the Philadelphia Eagles that rejoined the league. I'm using quotes here because originally they were the Frankfurt Jello Jackets, but then they had to deal with some bankruptcy. And then a long story short, Burt Bell comes around, borrows some way from his money, and he turns the Yellow Jackets into the Philadelphia Eagles. And the first season that the Eagles had was back in 1933. So from 1933 until 1942, we're talking 10 seasons here. Eagles had a total record of 23 wins, 82 losses, 
and four ties. Now, that is not a very good record. That's like modern-day Cleveland Browns up until a little bit ago here. By comparison, the same time frame for the Steelers, they had 32 wins, 75 losses, and 6 ties, so neither team is very good. Only one season. That was a winning season between the two of them over that entire 10 total seasons. Now, that happened to come the previous year in 1942. The Steelers were 7-4. and four. So, even though that was the first winning season for the Steelers, let's just say this is not a case of the rich getting richer. It was more like, well, let's get the poor guys together and hope they can scrounge up enough dudes to be able to field a team and at least entertain the fans long enough until we get out of this thing. And Art Rooney and Burt Bell, though, of the Steelers, they were buddies. Going back, back and forth, and all those kind of things. And Alexis Thompson, though, he was the Eagles owner, and he arguably could have been in a better owner as far as the marketing perspective because he really thought about the big picture, not just on the field. But maybe the biggest problem of them all, they gave the two coaches of the teams, this is Greasy Neal of the Philadelphia Eagles and Walt Kiesling of the Steelers. They would be the coaches. They would give them the honor of being, I'm using co-coaches, where first time it's like, hey, why, we got two guys in charge, what's going on here? I don't think this is going to work out. And let's just say, it did not work out too well. There's a quote from the Steagles tackle, Frank Bucko Kilroy, that kind of summed it up a little bit, and he said this, I thought Greasy was the most stubborn man I ever met until I met Kiesling. They didn't get along all that well. The idea was for Greasy to coach the offense and Kiesling to coach the defense, but they spent most of the time fighting with each other. It was kind of actually funny. And Pat Livingston of the Pittsburgh Press said that they were like a cat and dog. They hated each other's guts. So bottom line, working together was pivotal to keep the teams alive. And it was very important for the NFL to keep going because if they didn't keep going here and combine these teams to have an even number of teams, who knows what would have happened to the NFL? Would it ever have recovered outside beyond the war? I don't know. Maybe this DeLorean thing, we could take it back and we could alter some reality and just be like Marty McFly and see what happens when we flip out, flop out the other side in the future. But for now, let's just go with the premise that we know what did happen, not what could have happened. And one thing I do know, though, is that it was very important for people here on the home front to be able to take their minds off the war, take their minds off all these work hours I got to deal with. Because I still got to help the war effort and I want to be there. I got to try not to think about my son that just got killed in action. Or maybe my son that I have no idea where he's at. I haven't heard or got a letter from him and. I don't know, months or years, I don't know how long it took, but just all these things. But on Sundays, during the game, during the war, I can sit there for a little bit and I can watch NFL football because I can just root for my team and that's all I got to think about during those short, precious little hours. And even with that being said, though, most players, they also helped the war effort outside of the NFL, you know, give a morale boost to all the fans and that kind of thing. They would, a lot of them would put in 40 hours worth of work then they would also have to practice after work. So I'm sure they didn't have as many practices and all that kind of thing. And practices had to be challenged because you got players in different cities. And today might be a little bit easier, maybe. I'm just saying maybe a little bit easier because we have Skype that we could kind of shoot at each other, film footage and other things where they could kind of, I guess, piece together the practice between the two separate cities at the same time, go back and forth and such, and maybe go, hey, well, good luck. See you on Sunday. Well, I don't know. But with that being said, I'm going to leave the story here for now, because you see, next week we have a special guest on the show, 
Mr. Matthew Algio. He is an author and journalist that has reported from four continents. His stories have also appeared on some of the most popular public radio programs in the United States. So, let's leave the deep dive into this topic to next week's guest, the author of Last Team Standing, How the Steelers and the Eagles, The Steagles, Saved Pro Football During World War II. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Football History Dude and were able to gain some knowledge nuggets about one of the most unique seasons a team has ever had in the NFL. Next week, we get the lowdown from a subject matter expert of the season of the Steels, Mr. Matthew Elgio. If you would like to read his book before listening to next week's episode, I included an Amazon link in the show notes. But for now, dudes, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads.